This is David Reese. Welcome to Erasable Podcast number 50, starring me. Welcome to the Erasable Podcast. This is episode 15. A little later on, we've hit the guest jackpot, and we're going to be talking to Mr. David Reese of Going Deep with David Reese fame and How to Sharpen Pencils, all of our favorite book ever. So, how are you guys doing? Very good. Excellent. Very good. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I didn't come up with a uh, a cute intro for you guys. I just felt like I would I would let your your beautiful clear voices do the talking. Uh, since go. we've got our our microphones, I feel like I can almost smell you guys through this thing. It's it's really <sighs> awesome. I'm I'm so excited that our kind of the proceeds from our our t-shirt sales really you know got us to step up the game and and we're all we're all rocking the blue microphones. So. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that uh, you know. I, I think down the line, once we've all become you know millionaires off of podcasting, because mm-hmm. obviously that's what's going to happen. That's generally what happens. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think we we should switch up to the road podcasters, which are pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. uh, in the meantime, these blues sound great. You all, all of you sound super good. So, yeah. all yeah. of you audiophile snobs out there, uh, <laughs> pshaw. Yeah, pshaw. We're doing our best. Yeah. Great, baby. <laughs> yeah, that comes through pretty well. Jo- Johnny's Johnny's funny Doctor Claw voices sound really good. Oh, baby. Hey, did, Take did it any- to the next level. <laughs> did anybody see? I was explaining to um, Istvan from Hungary about um, Inspector Gadget. Did anybody? <laughs> yeah. I, I saw your comment about it. Yeah. I was just sort of like, it's, it's, it's sort of ridiculous what the premise of Inspector Gadget when you have to explain it to somebody who's never heard of it. <laughs> well, we were kids in the eighties. We just accepted it. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah, cool. he's a robot, but he's bumbling, and you know, obviously. go gadget normal. Yeah. <laughs> and and remember, this is something we didn't mention, but remember how Penny had that computer book. Which was amazing, and I wanted a computer book so much. And, and essentially, that's what I'm using now with my MacBook Air as I record this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, did you ever <laughs> see the, the, the live-action Oh, version? yeah, with Matthew Broderick? Yeah. yeah. And oh, they, yeah. they made a sequel with French Stewart from Third Drop in the Sun. It was awful. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Matthew Broderick one, was, I thought, was actually pretty good, but oh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, well, on, let's uh, let's move on to tools of the trade before we get into our fresh points for today. Uh, Andy, uh, what are you drinking and what are you writing with? All right, um, I am drinking a uh, gin and tonic. I, however, I'm not using tonic. I'm using um, uh, Lacroix lime uh, sparkling water. Well, that's mm-hmm. I guess I could just say gin and seltzer. That's, I don't know. That's usually what we do too. Yeah, actually. I uh, I go to Costco and I buy those Lacroix in bulk. They're really good. Mm-hmm. It's for somebody who. I feel like my default would otherwise just be like soda, like a Pepsi or something. I I, I think that's good for getting like the fizziness, but not the sugar. Mm-hmm. And I just put some uh, Plymouth gin into it. Very yeah. nice. And I'm writing today with uh, it says my blood here. I'm not <laughs> writing with my blood. <laughs> um, that's like ink. That's no go. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. Uh, for those of us of you who don't know, we we share a Google document. And we write notes and kind of make last minute changes and updates and things like that. So that is why that's that's what I'm I'm referencing. Um, but actually, I'm writing today um, with something that we're going to be talking about um, once we reach uh, Tim's fresh points. Um, this beautiful Coran Dash uh, Swisswood pencil, which I won't get into right now, but we'll get into later. So, Tim, what are you drinking and writing with? Uh, I am drinking some delicious Ethiopian. Ethiopian Yergachev mm. coffee that it's roasted locally by a guy who sells uh, at our 
Johnson City Farmers Market. It's pretty great. He has, has you go up to his booth and he has two buckets, like ten gallon buckets, just full of coffee beans. There's only two to choose from, and then he just scoops it and weighs it out for you, and it's and it's amazing. It's really delicious. Oh, so, man. I like drinking that. Chef. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, and I am writing with the same thing as Mr. Andy, the Karen Dash 348, which we will talk about later. Awesome. How about you, Johnny? I am drinking my favorite whiskey, which is, as I mentioned before, humble, but also delicious, <laughs> Wild Turkey 101 with some I ice. tried some of that the other day for the first time, and it is good. Are you a convert now? I am a convert. I mean, I mean, it is it's... awesome. We're, we're experimenting with putting this in, iced, in um, Irish coffee, and we're going to call it Wild Coffee. <laughs> like it's pretty good to put that on Facebook. It's a big meme and get some recognition from the company. <laughs> Maybe get a case. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case they happen to be listening, which I assume they yes. are. Maybe, Maybe sponsor they'll sponsor our podcast. <laughs> Hundred and one bottles for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> be drunk podcasting. <laughs> Real quick, Tim. Um, every ever since you talked about that soda in Johnson City, I can't stop. Uh-huh. Think, I can't stop thinking about it. I wish I could send you one. I need I, a, I'm sure there's a way, but well, when we when we when I drive down and pick you up for our across the coast adventure, oh, yeah. I'll uh, I'll, I'll get a some. case. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we'll put a case in the trunk. Come to Baltimore. We'll get some Blackwing Lager. Yeah, and the Wild Turkey sponsorship case will be here by then. <laughs> by then. <laughs> and, and, and we'll mix it with the Doctor Enough. So. Oh my goodness, Woo! it's gonna be good. Okay, I'm sorry, Johnny. I interrupted you. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> um, in, in honor of our guest, I'm writing with a general semi-hex that I've sharpened with a knife because I've been doing that lately. And I haven't cut myself yet, knock on wood. But um, <laughs> it's, it's exciting. I'm getting a lot better at it. And I did a perfect one. And then as I was setting up my podcasting gear, I dropped it on the floor and the point broke, which usually would annoy me. But I was like, oh, I can do it again. So <laughs> they're, they're getting picturesque. I'm, I'm hitting Instagram up a lot with this. So if you want to unfollow me over this, I, I understand. Oh, they look good. Are you going to be talking about the knife you're using in your fresh points? Or... Oh, yes. yes um, I wasn't. Going to? Oh, I was. I was. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it then. then. Well, Andy, you want to get us started on the fresh points? Yeah. So I just have a, a couple of them. Uh, well, three of them. Uh, the first one I was going to mention is um, a uh, something that went by the Facebook group, and I thought we should extend it here as we did the first time. But uh, Notegeist, which is Gary Varner's um, e-commerce venture. Uh, the website is not launched yet, but he's been doing a couple little deals for Erasable listeners and Facebook group members. Uh, and he has this uh, this one that he's doing right now, and I honestly don't know for how long. Um, but it's really cool. It's a uh, it's called Pencils and Caps, and that's an apostrophe N for, for N, like stick and shake. Uh, it's $16 with free shipping, and what you are getting is um, 12 pencils. Uh, there's a Ticonderoga Renew, General Cedar Point, an Old Mongol, General's test scoring. Sorry, General's test scoring. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my yes. <laughs> Tombow Dragonfly. Um, I won't go into the whole thing, but uh, I'll give you the link here. Um, and then you get a bonus, a Palomino Blackwing of your choice. Um, and you also get um, these uh, really cool pencil caps. And I know that we have uh, talked about them on the show before, but I cannot remember what they what they're called they're like um, those japanese ones the long metal ones yeah they're really cool yeah. and i didn't realize um you know i have one floating around here somewhere in silver uh, but they also come in colors too uh, so you can get a set of dark colors or light colors um, mm-hmm. they're all metallic um, and then if you want to you can add something on um there's a you can get that word polygon mix pack the word notebooks um, that he was selling earlier for ten dollars 
uh, or you can get these really cool, um, they're called passport notebooks. They're made by the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Oh, those um, are nice. Yeah, they're super cool. I I actually um, ordered a set after he posted it because I just thought they were so cool. Um, but the, the link's in the show notes if you want to get this. Um, I, I I don't want to sound like I'm advertising for Notegeist, but I, I definitely want to uh, pass on things that happen in the group that is of value to our listeners. And I think that mm-hmm. this is something that's relevant and interesting. So... So that this is the full disclosure. I'm not being paid or reimbursed or anything like this. Um, don't worry. We've talked to Gary about advertising the show too, but, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, this is just something I've, I figured we should mention. Um, so yeah, notes, uh, link will be in the show notes. Um, speaking of which, yeah. uh, Tim, yeah. where can somebody find the, uh, show notes for this episode? All I can think about right now is steak and shake because you, you mentioned steak <laughs> and shake and, I, and I can't, and I can't go anymore because I don't have one. There's, I think the closest one to here, there might be one in Knoxville, but uh, there's mm. no one around here. Uh, you can find <laughs> today's show notes at erasable.us slash 15. Slash stick and shake. Slash <laughs> stick and shake. <laughs> slash <laughs> take home a sack. Yeah. <laughs> don't go there. Um, so yeah that that's that's super cool it's uh notegeist.com slash special hyphen offer hyphen erasable or you can just go to our show notes and click that Uh, my second point is um is ink related um enough people on the field nuts group and in this group and in the erasable group are talking about those really cool kikerland ballpoint pens that look like a bit click but they come in like these cool mismatched like kind of 60s looking colors they look like they're big light so i bit the bullet and i finally bought a set and they're super cool like it's it's you know i held it up next to a are you guys familiar with what i'm talking about yeah i have some and they jam all the time on me really yeah i'm upset yeah mine are i guess mine are, are new here's here's me clicking it right here um that's a satisfying click <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's almost identical to a bit click, uh, like my field notes bit click that I have, um, except the, the clip is kind of a brushed metal and the, the button at the end. And it's a little bit, mine is a little bit, uh, tougher of a click, but, uh, it writes basically the same that, you know, for, for a ballpoint pen, you know, these are, these are some of my favorite. I know you really like them too, Johnny. They um, make ones with, um, stylus tips now. Yeah. Yes. They're butt ugly. But yeah, <laughs> they are. They look, but they just look like somebody puts gum on the end of a regular pen. Yeah. But I took one to a meeting um, for work not too long ago, and I, I had like somebody asked me like, "Oh, is that like an like an old ballpoint?" So I showed him, and I was like, "No, it's it's you know just a, re- a reproduction." But it's like five bucks on Amazon. They're really cool. I'm in, I'm enjoying them a lot. So uh, this is not a pen podcast, but I figured I should mention it. Um, <laughs> sp- speaking of which, uh, <laughs> the last thing that's kind of on my list is uh, so I've been going a little nuts on purchasing. Uh, I've been, it's, it's really hard to just kind of be in front of, you know, on the field nuts group in front of all those people, like, you know, selling different editions that you wanted or the people on the, the erasable group having special offers for erasable listeners and everything without just like buying a bunch of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And so basically that's what I've been doing. So, um, at least for a little while, I'm kind of on a spending embargo. I think that probably I'll try to hold off until we get to the point where, you know, I can make a Kickstarter pledge for the um, uh, for the bullet pencils. Oh so, yes. So yeah. yeah. So and and that's something where you know I, I can pledge and I don't actually have to worry about paying it until you know thirty days later. So it's not yeah. real, it's not real money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is amazing that once you we've we've started uh, the podcast, we've 
turned in, or at least I, I feel the same way that I've turned into my own instigator. And not only <laughs> am I my own, uh, or is that the word I'm looking for? Instigator? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. And not only that, but there are 300 more of them in the Facebook group. <laughs> right. um, so and, I feel like I'm these, under attack all the time. Some of these guys, like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they, they must, I don't want to mention any names, but some people must have some pretty good jobs because I feel like, you know, all of a sudden somebody was on the, the lookout for those those uh, crayons de maison, the uh, um, the fancy wood crayon dash pencils mm-hmm. uh, that are like you know thirty to sixty dollars. You know, some some people somebody was on a quest to get all of them and got all of them. It's it's pretty amazing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to still engage engage in trade. So if anybody wants to do that, you know, I'm I'm still up for it. But yeah. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on buying for just a little while. I think until <laughs> you know such time as as we talked about earlier, we're all millionaires from from this podcasting. So right. January, yeah. Be- yeah, because of because of this awesome episode, yeah, That's fine. Ba- yeah. Basically, David Reese is going to propel us into stardom, <laughs> and suddenly we're going to be touring with John Hodgman and hanging out with with you know get our own TV show. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that'd be a boring TV show. <laughs> it I don't be, think, I don't, it's kind I don't of a boring we podcast. Could, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we get a let's let's do know, like hold a light um, to what David does. Yeah, Let, let's do like one of those. Um, like a, the Howard Stern show, you know how he does a TV show of his rec- radio <laughs> recording. We'll just get a ca- we'll just get a camera in our like basement recording studio or whatever, and and do that. <laughs> then I have to put on clothes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, dudes. <laughs> we'll just put it on Showtime. It's fine. <laughs> All right, Tim. I'm I'm done with my fresh points. How about you? Well, I only have two. Uh, the first one's pretty quick, but I've, I mentioned a while back that I was going to be making a. Order on pencils.com with my teacher discount through my school, and I was finally able to do that. Hmm. So I made my first order for pencils for the classroom that I'm going to uh, use for in a couple different ways. I'm going to give them to kids kind of as rewards because I didn't get as many as I had planned, but I'm going to give them uh, pencils as rewards. And then I also am the <clears throat> sponsor for a creative writing group. And so it's going to be something that I, I give my creative writing students, you know, just kind of have something fresh to start with. And then I'm going to challenge them to shorten them to a nub to prove that they've been writing. That's awesome. So, yeah, but I ordered uh, two two dozen golden bears, one pack of blue, one pack of orange, uh, two dozen prospectors, natural, a dozen musgrave 100s. Uh, a coom one hole long point sharpener, and then uh, for the teacher, <laughs> I ordered a uh, a pack, uh, a dozen Palomino blue eraser tip HPs. Yeah. Are those back for good now? That I, was, uh, I think that they were um, maybe out of stock, or I I can't remember because I thought they were going to stop making the blue. No, but that's, that's the, um, the, the capped one. Or the capped one. Oh. So much. Awesome, because I these are I was so excited to see those, so I had to get I got myself a, a pack of those. So I'm excited. That it, should that should be in later this week. It's funny when you were, um, you know, you were talking on Twitter with Pencils.com and you were uh, direct messaging from the Erasable account, and uh, <laughs> I was, yeah, uh, you know, I have it hooked up to my, um, you know, my, to my my tweet bot. So I was, uh, I was kind of reading along as you were writing these, and I felt like a total creeper. <laughs> yeah. Just like, <laughs> like who knows what you were gonna say next? But I would have seen yeah. it. <laughs> That's funny. I should. I, I'm gonna start doing that all the time and just have like really awkward conversations <laughs> like, on there. What too. are you wearing? <laughs> Yeah, they just, Alexander they, will be like, um, jeans, <laughs> a hoodie. No, they, they, uh, yeah, no, they just didn't. 
they weren't following me, and so I had to go there to to converse with them because I had a question about the teacher discount program, and they they answered it immediately. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, the only other point I had was one to I think we all wanted to give a shout out to uh, listener Richard Hoffpair, which is how I think we're gonna pronounce it. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, but Richard Hoffpair sent us some pencils. And actually, I should have mentioned the other one earlier because I'm also writing it with right now. But he sent uh, Karen Dash Swiss wood pencils that are really nice. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, and he also sent each of us some of his American Pencil Collector Society custom pencils made mm. by Musgrave that are awesome. Yeah. It's a really nice uh, – it's kind of like a – I guess would you call that a cream color with blue stamp? Uh, a crew maybe. No, yeah, I, th- sure. I think cream works. <laughs> <laughs> those those points are super sharp, like the the edges on the mm-hmm. on the hex. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like the the Musgrave testing one hundred. Yeah, uh, hex. <laughs> yeah, um, and and they write really beautifully. I think it's a uh, basswood. Hmm. Uh, it's uh, really nice. It reminds me of a golden bear, sort of. But uh, so I just wanted to give him some 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 love for sending these this is really a good exciting thing to come home to today. Uh, what do you what do you two think of the the Karen Dash the Swiss wood? Oh man. So pretty. So yeah. I guess, I guess first we should talk about kind of how it looks how it looks. Like I I just love it. It's kind of I think um earlier Tim you said maybe it was mahogany and it's a Swiss wood I guess but it, it definitely looks mahogany. Yeah, on the the outside yeah. like the, the unsharpened has a definite like mahogany look to it I think. I don't And and the wood the wood kind of inside is, I mean, it's the same wood all the way through. It's like a dark, dark color, and it's 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 a lot more brown than like a like a cherry. But I and then it has just a, like a really subtle kind of silky um, matte finish on the on the the outside of it. And it, it's oh man, it's so gorgeous. I it reminds me a lot of these um, uh, Mitsubishi um, natural wood pencils that was on Pencil Talk for a while. I don't know if you remember this, Tim or Johnny. Um, I drooled mm-hmm. over them quite a bit. Yeah, it, they look. I'll have to find the link and put that in the show notes. It, it's it's gorgeous. Like it, I I just love these like darker wood pencils. And what's nice about this is you know some of those we were talking earlier about those crayons de maison, which I don't speak French, so I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, <laughs> I was a Spanish guy in school. Um, you know, some of them are made from very exotic hardwoods like blue striped zebra wood and various things, and some of them are really hard to sharpen. And obviously, you wouldn't want to sharpen a that pencil anyway but this one is soft it's kind of buttery um, i don't know if you guys have used yours My, mine is super nice and soft and dark uh, even though it, it's it's listed as an hb on it yeah I, i'm yeah. writing with it right now and it, it definitely feels uh, much nicer or yeah. much softer yeah so. and it's fsc certified apparently which is awesome mm-hmm. um it's swiss made it has the end is kind of capped with a like a red tip with the um the swiss uh cross uh, on the very end of it. So yeah, this thing Beautiful. is gorgeous. It's maybe, I want to say it's a little thicker and or heavier than a regular, like yeah, a, than a normal pencil. A little know? shorter too, I think. Yeah. Or it could just seem that way because it's thick. I think mm-hmm. maybe it just seems that way. Cause it's, it looks like it's the same length as like my, my Mongol that's sitting here. Yeah. I've had to hide mine. My wife was sort of macking on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> now where can I own. get one? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah great pencil yeah well that's that's all i had for my my first points how about you johnny um i also want to give a, a shout out to our awesome and generous listeners i got three mail day surprises in a row 
So I'm a very lucky Johnny, and it's sort of Christmas in September here in Baltimore. Um, I got a really cool Dixon film marking pencil from Micah Thomas on Friday. Oh, those are which is, those are neat. It's sort of like the just the coolest grease pencil I ever had. I love it. Um, and then Saturday I got the package from Richard, and today I got a package from Liz Rotundo, who is one of our listeners and whom I've known through blogging for probably close to a decade. And it has a lot of really, really cool pencils and tons and tons of Wopex in, which just make me so happy. <laughs> um, Liz is awesome. Yeah, there, there's – I don't know if this is the place for it. There's a story whereby um, I had a blog and I, I had a throw mug that broke and I, I adored this mug. So one day I got a package in the mail and it was from Liz. She sent me her mug, hmm. which I thought was like one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for me. And I actually just – finished it it's sitting here with french press grinds in a bottle i love it so this summer i had to pay the universe back and send another throw mug so i sent one to mr tim who wanted a mug from walden pond mm-hmm. i use it every day at school he's like the nicest person ever um also on a less heartwarming um vibe i've come up with a new term for the pencil lexicon and that is semi-cheaps <laughs> which sounds like a the word I'm looking for. Not prostitute, but you know. <laughs> a pencil hey, of the pick night. Hey, these up the semi-cheaps. Yeah, it's a lady, a pencil of the night. A pencil but, of the uh, night. By this I mean, you know, sort of cheap pencils, like a Dixon Ticonderoga, or um, a general semi, or a general, well, maybe a semi-hex, but definitely a Cedar Point. Not the cheapest pencil, but, you know, a pencil with an eraser that's probably under five bucks for a dozen. So, you know, you'll give half of them away to people who are like, what's so great about a pencil? So I like this term, and I think you know everybody should use this term instead of calling Dixons cheap because they're not that cheap anymore. Four or five bucks a dozen is kind of not so, super cheap. So like a like a Golden Bear. Yeah, yeah. The Golden Bear would be like the epitome of the semi-cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. The golden epitome. <laughs> um, <laughs> the semi-epitome. The, the gold standard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> While I was at Target buying some semi-cheaps, I picked up a cheap utility knife. Um, made by Stanley. It was like five bucks. It's plastic. But the part that holds the blade is super sturdy. So we put a link in the show notes if anybody wants a very good um, utility knife for sharpening your pencils by hand because it's the most fun thing ever. And I think we should do um, an international sharpen-off because Luke Sinclair in Australia is probably the best hand pencil sharpener I've ever seen. No offense, David Reese. And like Les Herker does a very good job and Matthias does. So... Maybe we could sort of do a, a Skype see, video. See what country reigns supreme. Yeah, sharpen off. <laughs> right now, I think Luke's got it totally down. We can do that in boot camp for the uh, pencil army. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of breaking down your rifle. And then <laughs> step two would be sharpening a, a, a razor blade, which is really hard to do. I usually just throw them away. Yeah. Um, I, I think I might have Luke talked into writing a, an article about um, – his method because I've never seen anyone sharpen a pencil by hand the way that he does. It's beautiful. Well, that'd be great. He probably just does it to like, you know, there's all those, you know, snakes and crazy things down in Australia. <laughs> probably like he has to just do it every day before he goes home. Cause he has to like battle his way into his house <laughs> through all the snakes and the koalas and the wallabies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Clearly I've never been to Australia. <laughs> and, um, I don't know how many folks are also members of the Field Nuts group on Facebook, but I, I assume probably a lot. So someone asked for numbers, and I finally got around to counting my my um, field field notes that are full, and I got 114. Wow. So I think I have a problem. 
How, how many how many unfilled ones do you have? Like twelve, maybe twelve. Well, yeah. no, I just got the new ones. But I guess like eighteen or twenty. That's not a problem. That's that's noble. Yeah, you filled that many. You know, they're not really filled with very interesting things. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody knows that. Shh, one of one of the recent pages was um, an argument with myself about whether or not we should um, make potty humor a part of our podcast for number two. <laughs> and my, my conclusion was no. <laughs> not cool. That's funny. Um, and nobody's brought up the new field notes yet. So I thought I would bring up the field notes because I hate that reticle. Is that how it's, you say it? How do you say that? I, I have no idea. I hate it and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. Really? I think it's great. It's dark and it hurts my eyes and those books already hurt my eyes. I, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. When I write with that, I sort of feel like I have to write around it, mm. you know? Yeah, I see, love you field notes, but not that thing. See, why, why I like it as opposed to like a dot grid is that it, you still get like a semblance of the the actual line. So you can just kind of follow that through. Whereas that dot is, you know, it's just a dot. Mm-hmm. So I uh, and print it up too darkly. Yeah, and, and that, that could be because I, I think that, and it's probably not on purpose, but like, you know, I'm, I'm still in the middle of like a night sky. And I feel like that is uh, is more faint than than the new ones, the unexposed. Yeah, plus, yeah. I thought that was sort of a reference to stars. Yeah, time. and and that's, that yeah that that would make sense a lot. Those were beautiful books. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm liking mine a lot. I'm still and I, and I bought as part of my spree. I bought some um some pitch black just to like you know continue the night sky. So I I don't you know I'll I'll kind of go easy on my night skies and just use up my pitch blacks. Well, they're very yeah. Halloweeny. Yeah, seasonal. True. Yeah, yeah. I'm my definitely is- are, are all of you um caught up on your did did you have the full range of colors for your unexposed i do not Mm. no i do (laughs) (laughs) i jumped up and down when i got all six (laughs) but it took four packs Hmm. so i've got a lot of extra green and the other colors have been spoken for by the women at my house (laughs) with whom i do not argue see i i just got two packs and i i you know there was only a couple colors that were were off and um, I just kind of did some did some trades, and I, I just outright purchased another one, um, just a single from somebody, and and yeah, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't think this is something to hoard. Well, I don't think any of them are something to hoard, but I, I, I definitely like want to want to use these up, but I, I really wanted to get to a point where I had one of each color anyway. So, yeah, once I get one yeah. of each color, I'm gonna write in them. Yeah, which is now next book. Yeah, except for that reticle. <laughs> <laughs> we still need to do our episode about um, what we actually write in those books. It's oh, embarrassing yeah. for me. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to bear all. <laughs> Sometimes my daughter takes them and draws pictures of butts. <laughs> Seriously, I do the same thing. So yeah, well. she drew a picture of a butt with a with a tattoo on it that looks like a shoe. <laughs> that was how she explained it. You, your butt, your butt was being that butt was being kicked. Like, what are you doing in school? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, can I can I bring up a last just a last minute fresh point? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so something that we didn't really talk about here, but I know that a lot of people have talked about, is uh, the Bullet Journal. Um, are you guys both familiar with this system? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, a guy, a guy came up with it, and it's it's kind of a cool thing. I have not actually tried using it myself, but I, I kind of want to experiment with it a little bit just to stay organized. And it's kind of just a system for uh, reference to do lists and a little bit of like. Um, Oh, managing schedules and meetings and tracking goals and things like that. And 
Um, it's been kind of an unofficial system that's been floating around like Lifehacker. And mm-hmm. um, I know a few um, productivity podcasts have talked about it a little bit. Uh, Patrick Roan's really into it um, from The Cramped. And uh, they just launched a Kickstarter. Um, and I think it's um, raising money mostly to – oh, let me look in here. He's going to make – the website, so they're going to put together yeah, a, so the website. a website that compiles kind of people's variations is how I understood it, like how they're using it just to be a go-to guide for how to make it work for you. Yeah, and they're going to have like tutorial videos and methods mm-hmm. and forums and stuff like that. And uh, so they started this Kickstarter. It was really um, – the goal was $10,000, which they just blew right through. And currently as, as we're recording this, it's sitting at 38000 which is neat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, if I wasn't on my spending spree, I would back this, but, um, <laughs> they're working with somebody and they won't say who I'm guessing probably like a, um, either like a, uh, a scout book or a, um, moleskin. So actually further down the page uh, for the Kickstarter project, they've, uh, listed that the, the project is actually partnered with Leuchtturm 1917, the oh. New York, isn't that company? I think it's out of New York, but they're actually making the notebook that's going to be given to certain backers. I guess it's if, if you donate or if you pledge uh, 25 or more, yeah, 25 or more, uh, you get this notebook. And I'm a, I've used the system before and I really enjoy it. I don't do, I do it religiously, but I do uh, enjoy it. And I use kind of a modified version in my field notes, just day to day to kind of organize stuff. Uh, but it looks like that the the notebook is actually going to be set up almost prefab for the the system. That's so cool. you'll have the the blank index page at the beginning and then they've numbered the pages in the notebook which is really helpful cuz that's crucial for doing your indexing cuz you always when you start a new month or you make a certain special list for a vacation or for a project you're working on you go to the index and you list what pages it's on so you don't have to number it um and then it comes with there are three page markers hmm. and a book band uh, a key for all the different types of bullets that you can use you know there's different symbols to mark off each bullet for things you want to look into uh, or to-do list items or events, all that sort of thing. Uh, and it comes with, and it's all kinds of awesome stuff. It comes with an eight page bullet journal guide, hmm. which is going to be like a tutorial, I suppose. And there's a pocket in the back dot grid paper and it opens flat. So that looks really great. Are you guys familiar with that? How do you say it? Leuch term 1917? term. Yeah. Are you familiar or, with that? With those notebooks? I've used them I've never a little bit. used one. So mm-hmm. I've I've heard about them. People talk about talk about them a lot, but I've never actually used one before. I don't think I've ever held one. Yeah, yeah, they're they pretty. Sell them, they sell them nearby here. That's one of the few nice notebooks I can get semi nearby over in Asheville. Hmm. Are they the ones that have a really large one that they call like the Master Notebook or something like that? Oh, I don't know about that. Hmm. I like I just like that t- that title, the Master Notebook. Like, like don't <laughs> with this notebook. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and timestamp that one. <laughs> oh, we're recording. Yeah, we are recording. It's all right. Don't worry. This this will never air. Oh man. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's all right. That that's happened. Don't um, mess couple... with this notebook. <laughs> so um so yeah that that's that's something that's happening. We'll have a link in show notes to that. But yeah, I really love about this project that. Once it's funded, the kind of the whole point of it is to have this website that will be free. Yeah, you know, like it's which is just a really great model, and it's really 
you know, you, you trust it when it's not something that he's putting together so that he can always make a bunch of money off of. It's he's putting it together because he wants basically to help people and he knows people like it. And then once it's made, he wants the website and all the information just to be free to everybody, which is really cool. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah, definitely. Well, should we get David Reese on the line? Get we this should. party started? We should. And I, I should warn everybody that um, I believe that all of our audio is going to be a lessened a little bit, the quality. Um, we're calling David on his cell phone, which I believe Skype will downsample us to kind of match that. So just a warning. Microsoft. <laughs> Amen. Our guest today may not actually need an introduction. As a cartoonist, a former census worker, and a fact checker, David is no stranger to pencils. He made it official in 2010 when he began his artisanal pencil sharpening business and gained fame or notoriety by being profiled in the New York Times, the LA Times, and other dead tree-based publications. He took the skills he learned while sharpening pencils to the next level, writing a book called How to Sharpen Pencils, a book that was reviewed by both Johnny and Andy and other less notable publications like Huffington Post, New Yorker Books, and The Nerdist. In July, David widened his appeal of interest and narrowly focused skills and took to the television with his National Geographic show Going Deep with David Reese, leading an audience through seemingly simple tasks like how to make ice, how to open a door. David gains a whole new perspective and talks to experts in the field. We're honored that David has joined us to talk pencils. David, thank you so much for coming on Erasable. Thanks for having me on one of my top 20 favorite pencil-related podcasts. <laughs> it's an honor, yeah. You know, one, one, of, our, one of our first uh, kind of name ideas for the podcast was the number two pe- uh, most popular pencil podcast. Oh, right, yeah. But then we realized there wasn't a number one podcast for pencils, so... You guys have to be number one. <laughs> yeah. Now we're just erasable. Yeah. Okay. I'm very glad to, to get to talk to you. Um, I, I remember just kind of seeing your book. Well, first, I, I think I ran across you uh, after the New York Times profile about you, uh, about the artisanal pencil sharpening. And I looked you up, and then you know you wrote that book, and I got an advanced copy to review. And it was so awesome. Um, <laughs> so um, I guess I guess one of the questions that, that I'll ask, uh, this is Andy, by the way, um, yep. And uh, what are what are some of your earliest memories of kind of consciously regarding your pencil? I think that I mean I don't have specific memories, but I just have like clusters of memories. You know, like when you would the you know the night before the first day of the school year, my mom and I would go to the mall, go to Roses at the mall and buy new school supplies. You know, and then you have that night where you're getting them all ready. And everything is just so pristine and clean, and you have like a three-ring binder. Like when I was a kid, the thing to have was a Trapper Keeper, yeah, which is a particular brand of of plastic binder, and uh, you'd have a you know a pencil case, a soft pencil case that slipped into the the rings of the binder, and you'd have like a bright pink gum eraser and and unsharpened, flawless yellow pencils, which probably back then in the 70s were probably still being made in the United States. Um, and then, and then in the school itself, in my elementary school, there was a school supply store that was open every morning and you could buy pencils and erasers if you were running short. You in those vending help. machines. Wow. We never had vending machines. Oh, <laughs> we had those. Um, uh, so it was just, uh, my association with pencils, obviously, like most people is just from being a kid at school and, you know, drawing mazes or playing games with pencils and stuff like that. Cool. So nothing. I don't have any like out of the ordinary, extraordinary m- memories of pencils <laughs> until recently. 
<laughs> Until recently, I guess. Yeah. Now I have now I have memories associated with pencils that are probably not typical. <laughs> typical. <laughs> We're talking about yeah. When I realized I was going to make twenty thousand dollars sharpening pencils, like <laughs> that's probably a pretty specific memory to, to that, my experience. That's really good. I've only gotten up to fifteen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I usually pay people. Yeah. <laughs> well, David, usually you send folks a um, general semi-hex number two because it's one of the few um, number two yellow pencils that are made in America left. But what is your favorite pencil? Uh, okay, that's yeah. So originally, when I started artisanal pencil sharpening, I, you know, I actually didn't know that much about pencils. Um, so I would just go to Staples or wherever and just buy yellow number two pencils and. I started to realize that there was, you know, obviously there's a big difference in quality of, of pencils, and a lot of the pencils that we buy now at big box stores are usually made in China. They're not made with cedar. They're made with, like, substandard wood, and, you know, the graphite isn't centered in the barrel, or, you know, the graphite isn't glued correctly to the interior of the barrel, so the point will disappear. I mean, I assume you guys know what I'm talking about. I assume we're all speaking the same language here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then in in the... And then I started researching American-made number two pencils, of which there are, you know, next to none. I found the general semi-hex number two. I started using those. And then when my friends and I were making a, like, a promotional video when we were trying to sell our TV show, Going Deep, we toured uh, on camera. I toured the general pencil uh, factory in Jersey City and met all those guys and, you know, was very impressed with just the fact that they do everything in-house, you know, the graphite's made in the basement, and then you go up, 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 up the different levels to the top floor. They're putting the erasers on the pencil, I and mean, it's like a very Willy Wonka-style, very charming, you know, family-owned business that seemed to treat their employees decently and, you know, has been in that neighborhood for years and years. And so then I was like, yeah, okay, so if if, if the client isn't shipping me a pencil, it, this makes the most sense for me as the pencil that I'm going to use. And, you know, I'm not a huge user of pencils, actually. Um, Scandal. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, because I'm left-handed, and so it always smudges the graphite as your hand works across the page. You always wind up with graphite all over the side of your palm. I mean, obviously, I use more pencils now than I did five years ago before I started the business because there's like 80,000 half-sharpened pencils just lying around <laughs> every square inch of my house. So usually if I reach for something, it winds up being a pencil. Um, but in terms of other pencils that I do enjoy, I really like, uh, the Mitsubishi 9850 is a really beautiful Japanese pencil. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that one as well. Uh, is that the, the burgundy one. Yeah. Yeah. With the white eraser. I mean, that's just a beautifully, mm -hmm. beautifully made pencil. You know, Japanese and German pencils, my understanding of those are the best, those are the best pencils. And then, you know, the, those black wings that Palomino started, you know, those are made with California cedar, but those are assembled in Japan, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, so, and I think the and I have those is lying around, you know, those are nice because they're a bit, there's, you know, obviously they're darker and softer than a standard number two pencil. Uh, but I, really, I mean, between the four of us, I mostly use ballpoint pens. 
no, nobody's listening to this show, so nobody will ever. <laughs> nobody will ever hear. I, I do like that the um, the general semi hex made an appearance in your how to flip a coin episode. It was kind of like oh yeah, yeah that was, was uh, yeah when we when I built that totally janky yeah. display. No, that was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we were, oh yeah, I wanted to give them a shout out. I, you know, I feel like that was kind of a something that was just for for the people who kind of knew you from the artisanal pencil sharpening stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people asked us when we sold that TV show, "Are you going to do an episode on how to sharpen pencils?" But my attitude was, you know, I've already done so much video and TV stuff about that, and we really did want the show to be me learning how to do things that I that I wasn't yet really familiar with. Mm-hmm. But there are, you know, throughout the series, there are little hints at my other job as the pencil sharpening guy. Yeah. And, you know, General <laughs> has been really, you know, really nice to me. Sometimes I buy the pencils from them, and other times they just send me boxes of pencils, and so it's not like... It's not like having a sponsorship or something, but you know, I you know, I believe in their products, so I like I gotta fit one of these in the show at some point. We definitely were texting each other when we saw that episode, saying, <laughs> "Hey, did you see?" It's <laughs> like big time nerd moment, but we were the, uh, the coin we, display, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all over it. But. <laughs> well, if you truly obsessively watch the show, you'll notice because we shot, you know, that we shot the show in my house. That's my living room. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, in the background, you can see that the art designer, the set designer, brought in like a really nice display, little like display shelves for all my hand crank pencil sharpeners. Yeah, yeah. So if you go into total obsessive compulsive DVR <laughs> mode, you should be able to see a bunch of sharpeners that you guys have actually talked about, like Classroom Friendly Supplies and El Casco, and you know the Carl Angel Five and the the little shaver, you know the the. Lee Valley Tools reproduction of the old uh, little shaver sharpener. All that stuff is is hidden on the set too. So, uh, I guess I guess this is a good time to sort of transition from, you know, some of your favorite pencil backgrounds to, um, you know, the artisanal pencil sharpening business that you had. So, uh huh. Yeah, Tim, do you want to do you want to lead us off? Sure. Yeah. Could you just give us? Uh, we, we've seen this in in videos and interviews you've done, but just could you give us a quick run through? and breakdown of how the idea for the pencil sharpening business came about. Yeah, so I had been a, I'd been a political cartoonist from the fall of 2001 until January 2009 when Bush left office. Um, and people always assume that that's how I got into pencils, but that cartoon was actually all digital. I just made it using clip art, so I actually never used pencils in making that cartoon. But... When I stopped doing that cartoon, I had no backup plan, and also we were in the middle of a global financial collapse, so I basically ran out of money and was broke, and by the summer of 2010, uh, I was in the middle of uh, getting separated from my wife, and I didn't have any money. I was like in a really weird, messed up place in my life, and my friend was like, why don't you just go get a job working for the census? Like, you need money. They're hiring. So I went and uh, filled out the aptitude test up in Poughkeepsie near where I live, and, and I, I passed the test, and I got a job as a enumerator, you know, the people who go around and knock on the doors with the forms and fill out the forms. And the first thing we did in staff training was sharpen pencils because in our supply bag that we had been given, you know, we had a clipboard and we had all the forms that we would need, and we also had number two pencils, and we also had a government-issued hot pink plastic case single-blade <laughs> pocket sharpener. So what is a government issued pen- yeah. what is a government issued pencil? What do they use? Uh it was you know what? I I'm trying to remember if I still have one lying around. I think it said United States Census on it. Ooh. But that I might be confusing it with an older decades old census pencil that someone gave me when they heard that I had gotten my start as a census worker. 
I honestly can't remember if it was a yellow number two pencil or a black census branded pencil. I have a feeling it might have just been a black pencil with no lettering on. I can't remember. Um, it wasn't like a it wasn't like a high end luxury pencil, you know. Um, but anyway, so we sat around sharpening pencils and watching the shavings fall out into the trash can. It was like this weird nostalgic moment for me uh, in the middle of just a time in my life when I felt kind of like I had lost my bearings a little, like I had no professional identity and I didn't really have like a relationship identity anymore. It's kind of how, I, how I've explained it to people before. Like I was kind of adrift, you know. And so I was doing this very nostalgic, simple thing. And I felt like I was doing it well. I was like, oh, these pencils are looking pretty sharp. And, you know, that's when uh, I, asked, I asked myself, like, what would it take to get paid to sharpen pencils? What would you have to do to convince people to pay you money to do something that they usually do themselves, you know? <laughs> it was almost like a marketing experiment slash art project slash financial financial desperation it's strategy. A, it's a really interesting thing because I, I know that, you know, I've talked to people, I've showed people the book and, you know, some people see it and they're like, oh, come on. Like, you know, how did this happen? Like who can, who would possibly do this? And this is a joke. And other people like take it super seriously. And I, I kind of, uh, we'll get to the book in a second, but um, I kind of think about it and, and rightly so, like, you know, you and John Hodgman, it seems like a pretty, pretty tight it, it seems a lot like his areas of my expertise book where everything is fairly i mean is accurate and factual and, and often true but it's just kind of with a with a little bit of like wry humor under there too well his three books are mostly fake facts i yeah. mean he does weave in true stories about his life but the foundation for those books uh, is kind of just this crazy alternate universe. They're like reference books for like an alternate universe almost. Do you know what I mean? I'm a big fan of all mm -hmm. the hobo names. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that type of stuff. And yeah. so there's some of that in my book, but in the project more generally, it's like the best description I ever heard of it was a friend on Twitter who said, basically the joke is there is no joke. Yeah. I mean, I realize that it is unusual to the point of absurdity to have an artisanal pencil sharpening business. But on the other hand, it is an honest-to-goodness artisanal pencil sharpening service. Like, I do do it. You know, <laughs> right, it's not right. like a fake... I've made fake internet business websites before. You don't just outsource it to China. this is not one of them. Like, I felt like in order for it to work, I had to actually do the thing I was promising to do because that would just make it more interesting and more fun and more lucrative. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. as I went along and, and was doing it, obviously, like I mentioned, I realized, oh, there actually is a difference in the quality of pencils. Oh, there is a difference in the quality of pencil points based on the sharpener that you use. Oh, there's a difference in the quality of pencil sharpeners. What's the history of pencil sharpeners? And when I started, when I got my book deal and started researching the book, obviously I read Henry Petrosky's book, yeah. uh, The Pencil, A History of Design and Circumstance. And that was, that was one of those moments where I realized, oh, yeah, anything. You know, I've mentioned this in other interviews, but that book, Petrosky's book, is very interesting because that was one of the very first, if not the first books, to do that very common trope now in nonfiction, which is to focus on something very specific and very esoteric and use it to kind of explain a, a broader history of something massive. Yeah. In Petrovsky's case, he is talking about the history and the practice of e engineering, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And all the incremental uh, uh, improvements that go into engineered objects and how often those histories are there's no record of them because once something has been improved, there's no reason to hold on or celebrate their earlier crappier iteration and so in a way that book is 
That book is very interesting because the subject that he chooses, which is a pencil, which obviously is a very powerful metaphorical device because pencils themselves are almost invisible in our lives. You know, we use them every day without usually thinking about them, uh, except for maniacs like you people. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, you don't usually think about them. And then, and then in turn, that suggests the entire history and practice of engineering, where it is a, it is, there is not much of a written record of, of, of the history of engineering. And so that book is, was very interesting and very eye-opening to me and really convinced me that the book I was going to write, How to Sharpen Pencils, it was going to be crazy. I knew that. Um, but also I did want it to be a celebration of pencils and to make people think about pencils in a new way, you know, in a different context, to make them strange again, uh, which obviously then uh, became the spirit of Going Deep, the TV show. Yeah. So that's kind of like... But it all started basically with me just being completely broke and getting a job at the census. I mean, so I have to give a shout out to the United States census. <laughs> we salute you, the United States census. Yeah. <laughs> so what is um, what is the nicest pencil that you've ever sharpened, or um, it, and it's not even something that's you know the most valuable, the most rare. Just like um, you know, so, somebody sent you a pencil, something you've noticed is standard above, uh, stood above the rest. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I'm happiest when somebody sends me some old beat-up pencil from 20 years ago that yeah. was like their favorite favorite pencil from childhood because that was initially my. That's what I thought the business model would be: would people would would send their pencils to be refreshed, the way knife sharpeners, you know, work with the knives that their right. clients already own. So whenever I get a nostalgic pencil, that's usually my favorite. And, you know, I've done, I don't know, almost 2,100 pencils at this point over the last four years. And it's, but you have to understand that the ratio of people who send in pencils to people who just ask me to provide a pencil, it's probably one to 200 or something. I mean, oh, wow. it's very unusual for me to get a pencil in the mail. So those are the ones that stand out. Well, they send like a... I don't know, like a letter, an explanation of, you know, why this is their favorite pencil? Yeah, that's happened. I that's mean, cool. the other thing that's happened is somebody, they literally just drop a number two pencil in a regular letter envelope and mail it to me. And so I just get an envelope with a hole in it where the pencil <laughs> escaped from the post office sorting mechanisms. And I have to write them and be like, sorry, there was no pencil in this envelope. <laughs> um, I have two questions, and they're both related. So the first question is, what is your favorite method for sharpening a pencil? And then the related question is, what is your favorite sharpener that's on your magic shelf? Favorite method? I kind of rotate through methods. I mean, I think when it comes to an iconic, super long pencil point, I mean, the classroom-friendly supplies sharpener is amazing, especially for its price point. Mm -hmm. um, and then I always finish that point on a high-grit sanding block, uh, and that usually looks pretty incredible, you know? Um the, the classroom friendly supply sharpener is very interesting to me because it seems almost structurally identical to the Carl Angel 5 sharpener. Mm. And I wonder if they're made in the same factory in China and just, you know, everybody slaps their own brand on it. Because I think I have at least three or four iterations of that sharpener where when you take it apart, the, the components are basically identical. Um, but I do feel like the classroom friendlies one does have a slightly longer point, so maybe there are structural differences with those machines. Um, on the other hand, you know, sometimes it is satisfying to do it just with a straight blade. Uh, that's obviously time-consuming, and and that will come out looking, you know, hand, you know, hand sharpened. You won't mistake it for a machine, for a machine sharpened point. 
I also have a um, El Casco, which I know you guys have talked about. It was oh, a man. Gift. I want a one Christmas so bad. Gift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't used that in a while, and I actually just sent the burrs, the the cylinder blades off to a, a fan who said he could he could sharpen them. And I also sent off the blade for my little shaver, which is another great, for the price, another super fun, really great, cool pencil sharpener slash conversation piece. Yeah. So um, I guess I guess one question I had about the classroom-friendly pencil sharpener is, have you ever experienced the teeth kind of leaving a dent in the barrel of the pencil? Yeah, I was totally feeling you guys when you guys were talking about that on that podcast. What, so what I've been doing is just taking like a Post-it note yeah. and wrapping, wrapping a few times around the barrel of the pencil. I haven't actually, I haven't actually adjusted or manipulated the teeth in the... Um, in the you know the window the the grippers yeah that's I exactly just put what I do something on the barrel of pencil and send it through although part of me does like leaving I mean because a big part of me for that project is is in getting people to think about pencils and and kind of look at them closely again is those little indentations that kind of look like you know when you chew on a pencil they do offer some clue as to the mechanism that was used to sharpen the pencil as do the shavings you know that's true. like. When it does leave an artifact. It, yeah, right, exactly. And when you look at a bag of shavings, you can usually tell what type of you know pencil sharpener was used to sharpen it because obviously you know a hand-sharpened pencil with a straight blade is going to look different from the ribbons that you get with a single-blade sharpener, and those are going to look different from the curly cues that you get from the classroom-friendly supplies sharpener, which are going to look different from basically the pulverized wood mush of the El Casco. You know, and I once had a dream. <laughs> I haven't had that many anxiety dreams about my pencil sharpening business, but once <laughs> I had a dream that I had a huge pile of shavings all mixed together, and I realized that I was going to have to separate out <laughs> everybody's all, all these shavings with my tweezers and, and then sort them into their appropriate bag based on <laughs> analyzing the points of the pencils and, and, you know, matching the point of the pencil to be like, oh, this looks like it was done by the El Casco. This was done by a... And it was just going to be like this meticulous, hours-long process anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe the dorkiest dream I've ever had in my life. Hey, <laughs> I think we've all had a pencil dream at some point or another. Actually, once I had a dream that I was hanging out with Paul Krugman, and that's even dorkier than a pencil dream. <laughs> and more intimidating, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about how the business – you mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but could you tell us about how the pencil sharpening business – transition into the book or or was it the other way around or was the book the first idea or no, the, uh, yeah, no no uh the business came first and i was doing it and i got a fair amount of media attention for it and then this little publisher in brooklyn melville house approached me and said do you think you could write a book about it and um i can't remember how like, the book came out in the spring of the book came out in the spring of 2012 so the book came out just under two years after i'd started the business which means i probably got the deal for the book a year before that so maybe i maybe about a year after starting the business i got the book and I didn't really know. It took me a while to figure out what the book would be. At first, I thought it would be like this memoir about this weird place in my life, and then I would talk about pencils. But then I realized that I wanted it to be a how-to manual because I collect how-to manuals, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. like or especially early 20th century how-to technical manuals, or I used to. Um, now I have so many of them, I feel like I don't need any more. But um, that really, and once I hit on that and realized that it was going to be really like instructional and photo-based. Um, then it, then then writing the book was just a total pleasure and it, and it went pretty easily and uh, and I wanted it to, to be a mix of 
you know, straight, straight ahead how-to real information written in kind of a fussy style in the way that was very typical of those early technical manuals. Um, a lot of those manuals, the language is kind of literary and aspirational and poetic, which I, which I really admired and found really charming, and I wanted that because, again, I wanted to make sharpening pencils kind of a weird experience again. And then as you move through the book, it kind of just gets crazier and crazier and, and more and more metaphorical and, uh, and more kind of just abstract and strange, I guess is a way to put it. So the business started first, and then the business led to the book, and then the book led to uh, enough media attention that my friends were like, oh, maybe we could sell a TV show. Oh, yeah. Well, what I love is your TV show just, like, perfectly kind of reflects the tone that you have in that book. Like, you know, you're very, like, in that, that part about, you know, what have we learned? You're just very, you know, factual but still aspirational, like you mentioned. And then, you know, there is a lot of personality in there, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that t the TV show we wanted to, it's kind of like with the book, like, the episode ideas, you know, how to open a door, how to shake hands, you want people to think, like, what could I possibly learn about this? It has to just be an extended comedy routine. Yeah. <laughs> but for us, we were very, we, you know, we were very dead set on, no, we actually need to learn the best way to do these things. And in, and in doing that and talking to experts and doing the research and breaking things apart, you know, hopefully we'll make these simple everyday activities really strange and beautiful again, you know? I think that my favorite part of it was I was watching, I think it was the third episode I watched. I watched them a little bit out of order, uh, How to Make Ice. And in that episode, you just decided to um, kind of explore the concept of impermanence. So you talked to a Buddhist monk. And <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. And, and that's when I realized, like, oh, wow, this is an amazing show. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was cool. I always knew going into that episode that that a big, you know, a big part of, we wanted to have those, we wanted to be able to make those kinds of left turns and show connections in a way that maybe you wouldn't think about, but that hopefully feel very obvious in retrospect. And when we were sitting around just, you know, planning out the beats for that particular episode and figuring out what we wanted to learn, and then at one point I was like, well, you know, we're going to spend all this time making this ice cube, and then it's just going to melt, you know, <laughs> pardon my French, and, no, you know, that's going to be very, that's going to be very frustrating because it is going to be very time consuming. And so, you know, I had seen sand mandalas in the past, you know, and it always, you know, it's very jarring for a Western sensibility for somebody to spend hours and hours making something beautiful and then deliberately destroy it. That just doesn't sit with, with our experience, you know, in the Western artistic tradition in, in many ways, you know? Yeah. And I always was very intrigued by that. So we thought like, well, this is a great opportunity to make this type of connection. I mean, obviously the visit with that monk did not go the way we thought it would because we were hoping that he would just give a very pat, beautiful, considered Buddhist response about embracing. <laughs> and he just yelled at you. <laughs> essentially like, yeah, which was genuinely, you know, which genuinely surprised us. Like it was a, a very exciting, funny moment. And we didn't get it on camera, but the other monks were like completely just sitting there cracking up off screen because he was like, yeah, grow up, you big baby. Don't do it if you don't want to do it, <laughs> which was which what? took it, which even just took it to another surprising level. Like it was that was an amazing afternoon. It, it's interesting him to be. Oh, sorry. Go on, Tim. I would say you're wanting him to be all sagely and give you this. Yeah, totally. So in a way, it was very yeah. In in a way, it was good because it challenged our assumptions. We we're like, oh, Buddhist monk, he's going to be so blissed out and whatever. But you know, every, you know, <laughs> he, you know, maybe he was annoyed with me goofing off or whatever. But he really just shot me down in a way that was just like 
it was great. It was bracing and exciting and very human and very wise in a way, you know? Yeah. As someone yeah. who is very anxious for him to just be like, yeah, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. Get over it. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, you can apply, you know, I don't mean to like get all philosophical, but you could apply, kind of apply that, you know, idea of impermanence to pencils too, because, you know, eventually if you keep using them and create with them, you're going to just kind of wear them down yeah, to the point course. that you can't I mean, use them. Not yeah, as much as I've ice. I've always but... mentioned this in interviews that the great, you know, one of the best things about pencils is how metaphorical they are, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you have the, we have one end that creates, and then on the other end you have, you know, an end that destroys or erases, you know? And, and as you use it, the life, the life of the pencil gets shorter and shorter, literally, until mm-hmm. it's unusable. I mean, there's a lot going on, you know? They're very, they're extremely iconic, in a, in, in, you know, and and metaphorically powerful in a way that an iPad or a laptop computer will never be because they are so simple and because of the, because of their material conditions and the way they function yeah. you know that using to use it is to destroy it you know yeah mm-hmm. in a way that is very obvious visually you know especially when you're sharpening it so, so that, uh... type of, that type of stuff is totally symbolic and philosophical in a way that's very appealing to me. Yeah. So to kind of to that end, um, you know, one of my very favorite things to reference uh, is chapter 11 of your book about mechanical pencils. Right. <laughs> and so we, we actually, chapter. yeah, we, we actually had somebody uh, within our, we have a, a kind of a Facebook group community where, you know, we just, you know, post fines or, you know, do trades or, or, you know, offers to buy or something like that. And I kind of asked the groups, like, does anybody have any questions for David Reese? And <laughs> so, um, uh, Miguel Munez on there wanted to know about how you feel about mechanical pencils and the people who use them. <laughs> well, I just refer him to chapter 11 of the book. Yep. I think, uh, I think I'll just go ahead and uh, post a screen cap of that chapter. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Not safe for work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that we had, so we eventually had to cut the manuscript of the book, and one thing that we cut was I had written actually a very long chapter about mechanical pencils and the marketing and the aesthetics of mechanical pencils. Hmm. And the point of that chapter was that a a lot of mechanical pencils make a big show of their engineering and that the barrel is transparent so that you can see the spring and you can see the graphite rod and you can see the clicker mechanism and all that stuff. And and and, I, and the point that I made in this in this chapter that was cut was that actually you know a regular number two pencil is also an ingenious bit of engineering, but it doesn't need to brag about it because it is so efficient and so simple that that you'll just discover you'll discover its ingenuity through using it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't oh, have yeah. to make a display of it in the way that a mechanical pencil does. And I had gone to the drugstore in my little town, and I had I was describing I you know took I was doing written descriptions of all the mechanical pencils and pointing out how obnoxious they were. And then when <laughs> the manuscript was like, well, we have to cut a bunch of the manuscript. It's like, all right, I know a simpler way to express this <laughs> overlong chapter. I think I can do it in one sentence, and then that became the you know the most famous chapter of the book. That's awesome. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about the design was that the. Um... The ribbons on the spine, the top was pink and the bottom was gray. Okay, so, here we go. Pencil. Was that your idea? <laughs> that was Christopher King. I have to give a shout-out to Christopher, who was the book's designer, who did a great job. I had sent Christopher a bunch of my old reference manuals, you know, my industrial manuals, to, as references in terms of typeface choices and layout choices and um, – 
how to do the illustrations and stuff. And so Christopher and I had a great time designing the book together, uh, batting ideas back and forth. And he came up with that idea for the, the uh, I can't remember the technical term for those ribbons, at the top and the bottom of the binding. Uh, and that was such a subtle, beautiful touch that so few people have ever noticed uh, but I'm going to let him know that you noticed that because that was a great contribution on his part to the book. I just felt like that took the design to a whole a whole other level. And I'm a little jealous right here because I, I have the uh, advanced copy, the advanced reader copy. Which... Yeah, you're not going to have that. You, yeah. you, you won't have it with the paperback. You'll only have it with the I need to go out and buy the, the hardback. Hardcover. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Man, I, I didn't even know that because I didn't even get a <laughs> – I got the – yeah, so when you look at the spine of the book, there's a pencil running down the spine, obviously, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the binding at the top that matches the eraser is pink, and the binding at the bottom is gray, which matches the that, graphite that's of so that cool. pencil. Yeah. Well, that, looks... was bad, that was a badass move. Christopher King, great designer. <laughs> well, it looks so cool. Like that Futura that you have on the cover is just pretty pretty great. The, the, um, the kind of like scripty font where you say, you know, with a forward by John Hodgman is pretty yeah, great. Yeah, so that, that cover is, is based on – uh, a ship fitters manual that I've had for years and years. It was very uh, inspiring to me that I give a shout out at the end of my book to that Adele's ship fitters manual. And we basically kind of copied that cover because it has a black, it has a black uh, frame around it and it's in Futura. Uh, like mo- man- many of those books are set, at least the titles are set in Futura because that was, you know, it's a big font back in the 20th century. It looks really good next to my yellow um, county fair field notes. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah, well, yeah, field notes is making a fortune off that typeface. I mean, <laughs> they're writing Futura all the way to the bank. God love those guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's the same kind of like mid, mid-century mid aesthetic, you know, very industrial, very clean, very like, uh, I don't want to say noble, but, you know, very, um, it just evokes discipline and like, and good practices. And, and then we felt like that was very appropriate for the pencil book, especially because I was really basing it off this uh, ship fitters manual. So uh, kind of speaking of that book, um, you know, I, it's, it's amazing to me that you, you know, got enough out of sharpening pencils to turn into a book. Um, and at the end, it does kind of have some really wacky stuff like, you know, like wine pairings and, various like kind of uh, outlier techniques for how to sharpen a pencil well yeah there's all the stuff like celebrity impersonation yeah but i should say the wine pairings i mean again we really did that you know like no you know that i mean there's some stuff that is just purely insane jokes like common and uncommon children's names like that was just me goofing off trying to crack myself up (laughs) but the wine pairings my friend who owns a wine store like actually took it really seriously you know, I brought him a Tupperware bin of graphite and a Tupperware bin of cedar shavings, and we just opened a bunch of bottle. I mean, and I remember once I did an event to promote the TV show a couple months ago, maybe it was like a big uh, lecture or something, and a guy, a guy asked at the end of the lecture, because I had mentioned pencils, and a guy asked, and I think he was kind of joking, like trying to be funny, like, hey, could you recommend any wine pairings with pencils? <laughs> and I was like, dude. <laughs> you need to go check out the appendix to my book because I literally did that, bro. And it kind of blew his mind. <laughs> yeah. You read his mind from the future. Yeah, exactly. Backwards, backwards mind reading. <laughs> mm. Well, we wanted to uh, transition and talk to you about your, your show. Now, we're, but we're all 
already huge fans. Oh, thank you. Of the of the show, and I actually I'm a eighth grade English teacher, and I showed an episode last week in class because uh, one thing that uh, middle schoolers have a tendency to do is to take nothing into detail ever. So yeah, I actually sh- <laughs> so I showed them an episode. I showed them how to flip a coin, and then I had them actually write a David Reese style explanation of how to sit down at their desk. Oh, awesome. And, and so they had to go into, you know, the what type of floor are you dealing with? What shape is the desk? And uh, it was it was a lot oh, of man, fun. Oh man, I would it love was, to see that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll pass them along to you so you can see it. But um so we just love the idea for the show and we just you you kind of mentioned it, but how did it develop and how long has it been in the works? My I had a fr- uh, old friend of mine, Christine Connor, um is a TV producer, and I've known her for years, uh, and I've performed on her, her. Her husband is Jonathan Colton, singer-songwriter, who does a Caribbean cruise every year for his friends. Oh, Jonathan's great. And, uh, yeah, he's the best. And uh, Christine, you know, so she had seen me do a lot of live performing, and then my book came out, and she saw all that stuff, and, and she and her friend Joe Honig, who's another TV producer, you know, they just said, let's get lunch and, you know, talk about TV, you know. Have you ever thought about hosting a TV show? And I was like, no, but, you know, it'd be interesting. And we batted around a lot of ideas off and on for maybe a year because they were busy because they had, you know, big TV jobs. And eventually we realized that the best idea would be the simplest, which is to kind of just do what I did for pencils and just do it for everything, you know. Teach people the best way to do very simple things and and – by doing that, make simple things strange again so that you appreciate all, you know, all the science and anthropology and, and humor and aesthetics that go into every everyday activities, you know, and kind of make it a big celebration of just how interesting the world is, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once we, once we set on that idea, we decided they put up all the money to make a sizzle reel, you know, like a little seven-minute demonstration video of what we wanted the show to be like that we would take out when we pitched it to networks. And so that's when we went to General Pencil, and uh, we also... Basically, the sizzle reel was a very condensed version of the Ice Cube episode. Um, That was my favorite episode. Yeah, so that's why that one is the first episode, because we already knew a lot of it down pat, because we had done some of the stuff previously with the sizzle. Like, I had met with Shintaro, the ice sculptor, for the sizzle reel. So when we went back for the actual episode, uh, it was just easy to, to get everything that we needed for that, you know? Um, so, yeah, basically we took that little video around to maybe 10 or 12 networks and, and pitched them, and then Nat Geo uh, seemed super excited, and so they ordered some episodes, and then we, yeah, and then we just started making it. So I was hoping it wasn't going to end up on, like, Bravo or something like that. Oh, I would have, bravo, man. They, they have money. That would have been amazing. Um, no, and then, the, so the whole, once we got the deal and started pre-production and, you know, researching and staffing to when we finally finished the 10th episode in post was about a year. It went from about August to August. And, or maybe August to July, I guess. Did yeah. you record episodes kind of um, simultaneously? Like, let's say you were in California for one episode. Oh yeah, told, no, we were. It was. It was. It was. That's why I wear the same clothes in yeah. every episode <laughs> because we just figured because we were recording, we were recording multiple episodes simultaneously out of order. That's crazy. And I had to keep straight in my head 
like, wait a minute, in this scene when I'm interviewing this person, have I already interviewed so-and-so? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, there were oh, yeah. moments in an episode where uh, I, I already knew what the person was telling me because we had shot a later scene earlier. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So there's, a, you know, there's like an artifice and, and a little bit of fakery and all of it. But we did try to keep me in the dark about a lot of the specific stuff I would be learning so that I could actually you know, learn it in real time and they would try to capture those moments. And that's amazing because that was actually my next question um, because there's a lot of moments when, you know, somebody tells you something and you sort of have this like off the cuff, just like no, or just like this double take. And how much of that is, um, of course, you know, you want to say all of it is genuine, but how much of that is something that you kind of had to affect and how much of it is like genuine? The the big, like the, when the thing that, so there are different levels of that. Yeah. When people would share their research with me, like sometimes the researchers did a great job in in pre-screening the experts and convincing them that it wasn't a joke, that we were there to learn about their research. <laughs> and then they also did a good job of telling me just enough information so that I kind of knew why we, why we were visiting a particular expert. And they so I would know, or, they, or sometimes they would just tell me in the scene, like, okay, we have to get this on camera. You have to learn blah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. But, in, but the, the most exciting moments for me in terms of just real discovery and excitement would be moments when they would finally just, they were done talking about their research and they would just show me the research, like the, in How to Light a Match mm. uh, at the Fire Science Lab in Missoula, when they show me their controlled burn field where they have identified the structural principles that determine how fire actually spreads. And they have visualized for the first time the fact that fire is not chaotic, that it spreads in a predictable pulsing wave-like structure. And that was like a goosebump moment for me. That was really incredible, you know. Or when um, – and then sometimes it's just the environment that you're in is just overwhelming for whatever reason, like the ice core lab um, <laughs> when we walked into this incredibly cold freezer and you, you're just surrounded by tubes of like – 400,000 year old ice. It's just amazing to be in that space and to think about the the discipline and the reverence that these scientists have for these incredible incredibly valuable pieces of ice that have been drilled out of the arctic, you know, so that we can analyze the temperature of the clouds that made the snow almost half a million years ago. It's just mind-blowing, you know, it, it just becomes overwhelming and the the crew and the showrunner and I, our attitude was like, yeah, if you're feeling something, like, just feel it. Like, don't worry if you, <laughs> you know, if it's kind of over the top, because we did want to convey the kind of excitement and giddiness that, that you can have when you're doing science or when you're investigating something that doesn't seem worth investigating. That was very important to us in the show. We wanted to have that spirit of, like, excitement and reverence for simple things, and especially for science, you know, especially yeah. for hard science. One of my favorite parts is when you just start singing. Well, that was another thing. That, I mean, <laughs> to Nat Geo's credit, they they really let us keep in a lot of those kind of crazy moments. And to the scientists' credit and the experts' credit, and like a lot of times they would join in and goof off. Which yeah. Oh which, man, who was it who just like oh the the paper airplane yeah. guy? And oh, your well, paper we did airplane musical. musical. Yeah, John Collins. That was. That was an amazing. <laughs> that was outstanding. That was a really, I'm going to say, a genuinely joyous afternoon. Yeah. I mean, we were feeling a lot of joy and happiness in that airplane hangar. Yeah. Because 
he was going to show us all these different airplane designs, and I was just thinking in the moment, like, how are we going to make this, like, dynamic or interesting? And then I was like, let's just sing, let's make up a paper airplane musical. He was like, okay, sure. <laughs> and the showrunner and the crew were like, yeah, go for it. Like, let's see if you can do it. And we did it, and then at the end of the day... <laughs> We're, like, driving away, and Dan, our showrunner, you know, the guy who's kind of in charge of the shoot, was like, you know, I just realized, like, we, we, we shot nothing else. Like, there is no backup plan <laughs> for the network if they don't like our musical. So I hope they like their musical. Um, but in the end, it's like those moments that peop- the viewers really respond to, I think, because they're a little out of the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, so, But, yeah, John Collins was, he, you know, he, he had a great singing voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it took us it took us a long time to get through some of those songs with a straight because you know we, we made them up <laughs> yeah. in the moment you know yeah. we didn't go in with like a script or anything and so we would make up these songs and then it would take us like I feel like the one about the the one about the orphan uh, yes. uh, I feel like it took us maybe 20 times <laughs> to to get through that without kind of with I mean obviously we lost it at the end but to get through that with a straight face just to get the lyrics out it kind of took forever like we were running out of time but everybody involved was like if we capture this and we get this you you will have this will be like nothing in the history of TV and those moments were always super exciting for for all of us you know yeah when you feel yeah, like yeah we're doing something a little bit different here and if this gets on TV then it feels like we got away with oh yeah something maybe he had some pipes yeah. What's that? <laughs> he had some pipes. That's no, he had a one. Yeah, he had a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful baritone singing voice. I mean, it was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some uh, topics that folks can look forward to, or you know, what are you definitely doing, and what would you like to do? I don't know. We have to wait and see about a second season. I mean, a lot of topics, a lot of topics that have been suggested. To, we have a list of a hundred topics. When we went out to pitch the show about a year and a half ago, we knew that we would have to convince people that this thing had legs and that we could keep going and going. So we came up with a list of 100 topics. Um, and a lot of the top, I mean, actually how to sit down, it's interesting that you chose that for, this, uh, for the students. Um, mm-hmm. How to sit down was one of them, how to walk. You should come um, and interview a uh, middle school teacher that I know. Oh, really? Well, Tim. Yeah. Does he have a good yeah. singing voice? Do you, Tim? <laughs> Sing a song about sitting down right now. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> This is your audition. Um, I really want to do how to bounce a ball. I think that would be cool. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think bouncing is very interesting. And how to clap, I think. I mean, the thing, that we've re- the thing that we realized in watching people's reactions to the episodes is that people really respond when there's something they can do, when they can participate at home while they're watching. So how to throw a paper airplane or how to tie your shoes were big hits. Mm-hmm. Because people could just sit there and press pause and actually practice tying their shoe, the different techniques that I did with Professor Shoelace. Yeah. So that, we that guy also was a trip. <laughs> What's that? That guy was a trip. Yeah, he was incredible. I, <laughs> yeah, I'd wanted to meet him for a while. He was another, I mean, that's another example of a guy who was just up, just up for anything and was such a good sport and just so knowledgeable and goofy and delightful that it was just, it was, that was another amazing shoot. I was just so happy that he agreed to fly to America and hang out with us. Cool. Well, David, that kind of wraps up the most of the questions we had for you. Um, we, we had a couple of miscellaneous questions that we'd like to just kind of, kind of throw at you real quick. Um, All right. The first one being, um, would you be uh, willing to sing us kind of an intro bumper about welcome to erasable episode 15? 
Uh, right now? Just right now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, all right. You're kind of putting me on the spot oh, here. If you're not comfortable with it, that's quite all right. This is David Reese. Welcome to a raceable podcast number 50 starring me. There's a melody in there somewhere. Yay, but that was, it's, that it's was take, amazing. It's going to take Perfect. archaeologists a thousand years to find a melody in that. In that. that was amazing. We can auto tune you. There we go. Please, yeah, do that. Make me sound like T Pain. That. <laughs> that was awesome. And uh, my question was, um, well, f- first, uh, how many how many of those aprons do you have, or is it just that one? Oh, you mean on the show? Yeah, or just in general. So the so the apron on the show is actually different from the apron in the book. The apron that I wear in the book is an old Katz's Deli apron that somebody gave my ex-wife and me as like a housewarming gift a long time ago or something that I just turned backwards when my friend who's a printmaker and uses an old Vandercook press said, well, if you're going to look like an artisan, you need a black apron. And that became like a very, that became like a crucial, like, uh, uh, you know, visual component to that book and to the whole pencil sharpening thing. Yeah. So that's just a, that's just a backwards Katz's deli apron. Hmm. Um, and then when it came time to shoot the ep- to shoot the show, I realized that I wanted an apron that was the same length, but I wanted I wanted pockets because I wanted to be able to hold, you know, note cards or pens or whatever. So we bought we bought an apron, and we only had one. <laughs> we kind of goofed because we we had four identical pairs of shirts and four identical pairs of or I'm sorry, four identical shirts, four identical pairs of blue jeans four pairs of identical black socks, four identical undershirts, and one apron. And then one day we lost the apron and we were supposed to shoot. And uh, we went into a panic and they went out and bought a ton of aprons. But I was very particular (laughs) about the aprons. Like some of them, the straps were too narrow or the apron was too long. Anyway, at this point, I have the original Katz's apron. I have a black apron that I got in Germany when I was on the German book tour because I had forgotten my apron, and so somebody went out and got me a German apron. And then I have four, I think, aprons from Going Deep, and then I think I have another apron. that's. I think I have, I don't know, seven or eight black aprons. That's cool. But we wanted the black apron to be like Mr. Rogers' cardigan sweater. Like it's something (laughs) that's a trademark. Yeah, exactly. And when I go out into the world, I put on my apron, you know, I'm the guy wearing, and you know, it was amazing to us because the network never, never, because we were like, are we going to have to explain, preemptively explain to the network about this? And I, my recollection is no one at the network ever asked a single question about the apron. Like, <laughs> and I feel like in all the times I see people talking about the show on Twitter, I think maybe two people ever have been like, oh, and by the way, why are you always wearing a black apron? It was just, it was, uh, people were just like very understanding, like, yeah, I guess this is just like, this is just his uniform. It just you know, fits really well. Yeah. Doing his research. So, yeah. It's like, it's like Steve business, Jobs' right? mock, mock turtleneck. Yeah, exactly right. Did you wear the apron when you did your sh- uh, live show with John Hodgman? Well, you mean, well, I just went on a tour with him. You mean then? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, um, I used to wear the black apron when I would do live pencil sharpening things, but when I was out with John last, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago, yeah, I was t- actually teaching people how to fold a simplified version of the Suzanne, the John Collins airplane. Oh. And I would just wear whatever. Gotcha. Because like, I didn't want it to be a thing like, 
every time I perform live, I have to wear this. I don't want it to yeah. feel like Where's a, your apron? Yeah, yeah, like a gag, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, I follow his Instagram, and it looks like you guys just had an amazing amount of fun. Yeah, it was really, you know, it was very, it was very fun. We used to tour a lot together back when he was writing his books, and I was doing Get Your War On, and we would go out and, and a lot of times, we would tour with Jonathan, Jonathan Colton. Yeah. It's like, this was, I don't know, ten years ago, and uh, we, and then we hadn't done it, you know, we we hadn't done it in a while, and he asked me to go out, and uh, yeah, we had a really, really super fun week. I mean, it was good cool cities a couple cities i'd never been to like birmingham was incredible um uh and it was yeah it's just good he's good travel company he's a great conversationalist you know it's good to just hang out and goof off and stuff and then i had a question listening if you guys made any i can't remember which one of you guys was talking about it but you one of you is obsessed with the same sharpener that i have which is that single blade sharpener the german one oh the genus I'm blanking on the name, the one that kind of produces the same tapered point that my El Casco does. Oh, that, that's me. That's Andy. The, the Janus 4048? Yeah, and that's no longer in production, right? I know. No, it's not. Um, there's a guy in our group who basically hoards them. Are you serious? <laughs> and and I, I think he said he has like four of them, and they come up on eBay. Um, they come up more on eBay UK, but occasionally we'll see them on this eBay, and, and they go for 50 to $70 or so. And are those blades the same blades that you can get, like, just like a standard coom blade, or are they longer? I I cannot figure that out. He he, he buys those blades specific, like, on the Internet, and I think that maybe they're different in in that they are specially made so they curve. Um I would be interested in trying a regular like coom blade to see if it would break because it looks like maybe that curve is fairly significant. But the you know a little blade like a coom might have enough flex in it that you could just force it. Yeah. I didn't realize that the bla- yeah, so the blade itself is curving. It's not just the mm-hmm. it's not yeah. just the chuck. It's it's not the hole that you're putting it into. Yeah. I I've been um you know I've been talking to people who are you know doing kickstarters for various pencil things and and I've been trying to t- tell anybody who will listen that they need to recreate that Janus because I I love looking at it and I really want to try to get a get a hold of one Yeah it's a badass sharpener I yeah. mean when I you know in my book I did a bunch of stuff with antique pencil sharpeners up yeah. at a um an antiques uh antique store in New England that specializes in old office equipment and a lot of those are so beat up you can't use them anymore again because they were just like prosaic machines that were just used until they were, were worn out yeah um and a lot of but a lot of those things I feel like man if you made a new version of the Jupiter 2 mm. you know which is essentially a milling device that just you could you would just swap out different blades for different points i mean you know um like surely you could sell that at some highfalutin store. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Those things are just so beautiful. And then when I was in England and I went, I mean, I'm sorry, I was in Germany and Berlin, and I went to uh, what's it called, Duse der Dinge, the Museum of Things, which is just this massive collection of like very prosaic, like salt shakers, transistor radios, and uh, they had the the Aduna sharpener, which I had all, which I had read about in Petrovsky's book and never seen one uh, in person. Mm-hmm. And again, that thing was just like, and then they let me hold it and take a photograph with it um, when I explained that I was there to promote my book about pencil sharpeners, mm. pencil sharpening. And that, again, was just like an amazing, you know, those old sharpeners, if you didn't know what they were for, you would have no idea what they were, what their purpose was, you yeah. know? It's like some of those early, in, sorry, go It was back in an era before we had settled on these, on the few standard designs for pencil sharpeners, and you would have like the perfect pointer, which doesn't look anything like a pencil sharpener, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like vertical pencil sharpeners with rotating blades and then something like the Jupiter, which you, you know, the 
the pencil is completely encased in the sharpener. You know, you don't hold the pencil. It's all within the sharpener. Yeah. You know, all those things. Yeah, those or are the little cool. shaver at the, you know, at the time. You don't see that anymore except in, in that reproduction. All that stuff is very interesting to me. It's like those early typewriters that, you know, were, some of them are like a glorified label maker. Yeah, some yeah. Some of them move well, the, the, yeah. Right. So this, this guy at Brantford House Antiques, his actual, his typewriter collection is what bankrolls his, his store because typewriters mm. are actually his specialty. Yeah. The pencil sharpeners, he was like, yeah, just throw them all in this Tupperware bin and go out to that barn and take your photos. He was like really mellow about it. We were uh-huh. like, really? All right. But the, but his typewriters, he's selling for, you know, like 20, 30 grand to European collectors. And those typewriters, again, yeah, you look at it and you're like, what planet on what, on what kind of spaceship is this thing, the dashboard? <laughs> There's no way this is a typewriter. Yeah. But they're completely nuts. David Reese, thank you so much for joining us on the Aerosol Podcast. It's really been an honor. It's been a, a whole lot of fun talking to you. Uh, where where can people find you on the internet? And is there anything else you'd like to, to plug before we sign off? Uh, you can go to artisanalpencilsharpening.com, and uh, you can uh, you can watch Going Deep with David Reese on Hulu now. All all ten episodes are up on Hulu, so those are probably the best best things to do. How do all these people follow you on Twitter? Oh, um, my Twitter name is David underscore Reese. What happened to Let's Get Short, by the way? Well, that's very interesting. So that was my – I joined Twitter when I started a URL shortening service for Twitter <laughs> called URL shortening service for Twitter.com. <laughs> and my username was Let's Get Short. And at some point, my agent said, you should – it would be good for your online media presence if you had your actual name. I was like, <laughs> all right. So. Yeah, well. So that's that was a compromise I made in the in the in the in the interest of base base commerce base base popularity. So now I think let's get, at let's get short is just like a Russian robot sending out text. So my Twitter is David underscore Reese. Yeah. R E E S. Cool. Well, Johnny, where can people find you on the internet? I am at pencilrevolution.com on the browser. On Twitter, I am at pencilution which is hard to spell, but easy to say. And on Instagram, I am at Johnny Gamber, all one word, with no punctuation. How about you, Andy? I am Andy Wellfley. I'm at woodclinch.com. There we go. Like and this. you can find me on the Twitter at a Wellfley or at woodclinched. That was, that was even worse than, than, than yours, David. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Tim? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. Okay, that's fine. Sing it. <laughs> you should rap it. Oh, man. That's tempting. <laughs> if somebody lays down a beat, I'll try it. <laughs> that's really fast. Okay, yeah. sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can follow me. You can follow me on Twitter at WritingArsenal or at Tim Wassum. And you can follow me on Instagram at the Writing Arsenal. <laughs> Okay. We are the Erasable Podcast, and we thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can visit us uh, on the web. Uh, the URL for this episode is erasable.us slash 15. Uh, please join our Facebook group. It's a whole lot of fun, people talking about pencils in extreme detail. And that's facebook.com slash groups slash erasable. Is that correct? Yes. That is. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Erasable Podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.